Hello, everyone, and welcome to the VBCOA podcast, a Building Code Geeks podcast. I'm your host, VBCOA Education Chair Christina Jackson, and with me today is Jeff Center, the Chief Fire Marshal for the City of Newport News. How you doing, Jeff? I'm great. Jeff is going to uh, give us a brief synopsis of what it means to be a fire marshal and how he works with the code department. So first, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm in year 20 of my career, uh, split between uh, fire and police. I started um, in 2002 with my first job working for a uh, fire and EMS agency. And then, uh, for whatever reason, I got the idea that being a police officer would be a good idea. So I jumped over there for over well over a decade. And then in 2017, I came back to the fire department in the fire marshal's office. And, uh, and since then, kind of moved up. Um, and, uh, and now I'm the, the chief fire marshal. Um, you know, from the area, um, Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Uh, but I split time growing up between here and Connecticut. Um, so kind of back and forth. Um, summers were all here. School was up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, got a, a married with uh, one son and a really difficult chocolate lab. <laughs> makes my life miserable. Love him to death, but he's got a lot going on. He's, he's very busy. He's a little busy. goofy. He's a little goofy. So can you tell us a little bit about what does a fire marshal do? Yeah, sure. So um, a lot. Um, so in, in Newport News, it's an executive level position in the fire department. So it's uh, an assistant chief's position. And we have oversight of a lot of different sort of major areas. Uh, but we can kind of condense those down into into three three big pieces. Um, the first one's obviously the code enforcement arena where we're responsible for administrating statewide fire prevention code and uh, any local ordinances that are attached to it, um, which is a whole situation of itself as, as you both know mm-hmm. um, and then we're also responsible for um, specific criminal justice functions so uh, we're responsible for conducting origin and cause investigations um, for all fires explosions hazardous material spills threats to burn threats to bomb all those things manufacturing explosives all those things that occur within our jurisdictional boundaries like hazardous spills Yep, arson, um, all fires really, even accidental fires and stuff like that. We're responsible for determining the origin and cause of those fires and uh, performing some other sort of you know, functions related to that, including prosecuting those that need to be prosecuted. And so we have uh, a, a lot of responsibilities. And we're also heavily involved in bombs and bomb making and manufacturing. Um, we have a bomb squad here. We have a, a lot of different pieces that go into that. And then finally, we're, we're the fire department's prevention and education authority. So we handle public engagement, uh, different types of fire safety programs, injury prevention programs, those types of things. So it's a lot. There's a lot of things that happen there. But in general, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And then we have you know a bunch of folks that fill the roles uh, down the chain there to the operational level of each area. But generally, that's what we're trying to do. So how does, you you said a lot, a lot of things that you have to do, a lot of things that you have to remember. Um, What kind of training or what kind of education goes into being a fire marshal? Uh, So a lot. So the training cycle for a fire marshal who is able to carry out all of those duties is 
in addition to their entry-level training, whether it's through the fire department or otherwise, uh, it's, a, it's about 18 months to two, two years, and that's continuous training. That's, that isn't, you know, oh, we'll, you know, we went you know, one class or the other, and, and I'm talking like it's day in and day out. So here, um, if you're going to work just code enforcement, and I, and I don't say that to say it's just code enforcement, I say that that's your, your job. Your primary responsibility. You don't go out of that lane. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, everybody is expected to be a certified firefighter through the Hampton Roads Fire Academy, which that's a, about a six months program. They also have to have their EMS certifications. That's another six months to a year, depending on what program. And those things happen early in, in people's careers. Um, so it's not really something that happens when you come to the office. But it's, you know, you have to be proficient in that job before you think about moving into code enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do go into the fire marshal's office, there's a series of, of minimums you have to, to, to complete. So first is fire inspector one and two, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a 120 hour training program tested. Um, it's continuous over three weeks where you go through the fire code and all the constituent pieces of it, the building code, um, the reference standards and stuff like that. And then you also have to attend core, which I think is still 24 hours. Yes. I actually have a, a few newer guys in that this week, virtually. Um, so that's the, the bare minimum, but I don't, that's not acceptable to me as, you know, the, the agency head there. So mm-hmm. we also expect that you complete fire protection systems inspector through DHCD. Um, non, I'm going to say it's right, non-commercial plans reviewer, I think is what the title of the course is. Yes. Through DHCD or mm. non-structural. It's non-structural. Yeah, non-structural. Um, and then um, what I've also found recently is, is maybe more important is uh, the existing building code. So important piece here is there's a lot of overlap between the fire prevention code and the building code, but we also have these retroactive restrictions and so yeah. the existing building code fills in a lot of those holes those that aren't clear so those are the minimums once we get through that we expect our uh, in, in inspectors that are going to make a career out of this to complete advanced training through the NFPA and that's to become a certified fire protection specialist mm-hmm. which takes about a year and a certified um, fire plans examiner one and two through the NFPA which is you know, six months to a year it makes you an expert in all these different areas. Either way, you know, the minimums are what they are, but we don't, I'm not okay with that. Right, I you know, I need people that can answer hard questions for policymakers in court, and uh, but also do it in a way that makes sense for the average citizen uh, and interface well with builders, architects, and codes compliance folks too, you know. Uh, so that ties well into our next question, Jeff. So what, you know, you gave an overview that you you dab into the existing building code, non-structural plan review. Um, the requirement by the state is that you go to the core fire prevention training. But how does it, in a day-to-day or certain scenarios, how does that tie into working with a local building department or a local property maintenance team? How does that all tie in together? So what I could tell you, this is both experience and common sense driven that having a good relationship with your local building or codes department, however you want to call it, is the most important thing for your fire official. Um, it's also an area that I see aren't 
that doesn't work out so well in a lot of places. Correct. And and I'll and I'll say this honestly, like in years past, you know, not not under you know necessarily my leadership, but in years past there was a disconnect, right? Right. And but it's very important because um, look, the building official only has so much time and so much power, and once a CO is issued fire protection safety requirements and life safety requirements pass the fire official. The fire official, you know, has to have that strong relationship with the local codes department you know, for a variety of, first, you know, every three years is new building code. And every three years when a new building is built, there's different fire protection and life safety requirements. Um, and as you see now, we're dealing with a situation that a building was built in the seventies and having to, come together and figure out what even were the fire protection requirements and life safety requirements at that time. Correct. The other piece is that your fire official is out there doing routine um, and, you know, it, it could be frequent or however often you prescribe based on the type of structure you're dealing with inspections for the USBC requirements, the fire protection requirements. And so um, really the fire official is an extension of what the building official is trying to accomplish. And if the fire official finds violations and need to adequately address them and refer them back to the building code official for proper repair and, and, and stuff like that. So you have to have you know, a joint, a solid joint relationship that, that you can communicate clearly. You can, you know, you can help each other tackle these difficult, <laughs> these difficult uh, areas of, 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 of government, really. Yeah, this is a lot. Well, because at the end of the day, it's all about life safety. That's it. At the end of the day, we, we, we all have the common goal of protecting the life, safety, and welfare of people in the buildings and the homes that they use every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. Um, how, do you like your job? Yeah. Most days, <laughs> most days, uh, you know, no, it's a good job. It's, it's, uh, best job I've ever had. Um, why do you say that? So, um, because the impact is so large, right? Do I miss being in the field and doing the fun stuff? Yeah. What's the fun stuff? Uh, going to fires, going to hazmat spills, <laughs> mixing it up, um, going out there and, 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 and doing the, the investigational part of it. And, 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 and the code enforcement piece. Like, you know, I'm, I, I like fire inspections, you know, because it's just different. You get to experience so many things. But, but, but now, right, like the impact's much larger because while we talked a lot about, you know, code enforcement, investigations, all this other stuff, like that all joins together at some point right, right. to make an impact in public safety. And, um, and, and for me, because the job is so diverse and there's a lot of things that is that are invisible um, so our role in um, special events coordination for the city is huge because everybody wants to see those fireworks on the 4th of July right, yeah, they yeah. want and, to see those fireworks on the 4th of July and people want to have holly dazzle and people want to have huge events and those the things are all the big city marathon and those things all you know some degree touch the fire code and because of that we're, we're really involved. So you get to do really a hundred different things. You're involved in plans review. Um, we work closely. We have, and a lot of people don't think of this in Newport News, we have one of the most important areas in the United States of America is right here. It's Newport News Shipbuilding. 
We deal with, we, we work with them all the time. We work with uh, smaller yards that are servicing naval vessels. Um, and so you get to do all of that stuff. It's the best shop you can have. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's fun every day. It doesn't mean the hours, you know, wrap up at five. It very rarely do. But, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's great work and it's fun and most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. Um, how do you think technology will affect the fire marshal's role in the future? So, um, there's going to be a lot that happens over the next, you know, one to two decades, really. Um, you know, new fire prevention methodologies as far as systems engineering and stuff like that are coming out. Um, that That's going to require us to adjust, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and so really some of the, the more modern fire protection systems, uh, water mist systems are kind of new, right? Right. Um, it's not a traditional sprinkler system. It functions totally different. It requires us to catch up on how that works. And I, and I think over time we're going to see more applications that are really advanced come along. Right. And this is an industrial city, so we're going to see them here. Right. Right. We're, we're absolutely going to see these really complicated systems come into play and familiarity with them, regulating them, ensuring they're compliant. That's going to be a thing. But also the way that we have an understanding of what's going on in our community is going to, I hope, and we're working through some solutions now, to actually get a, a real understanding of what's going on in the community. Right. Where we need to deploy inspection resources to um, at different intervals than just once a year. Right. Different trainings that you got to have. Yep. Uh, and it, there's a ton. There, there's, it's a really complicated environment. And in some ways, technology will make this a lot easier for us. In other ways, it will make things more difficult for us. Right. And that's okay. That's the challenge. Right. So. Well, that's been the building and fire codes issue. The reason why it has to be updated every three years. Because yep. there's something new that comes out. Yeah. And I'll add, the, I think the biggest problem technologically that we're, we're already seeing is the role of lithium-ion batteries. Yes. So we've had that I know of, um, you know, at least three major fires that we, you know, the evidence would suggest that, that are related to lithium battery, lithium-ion battery fire that's in homes. Right. That isn't in cars. Right. That isn't in recharging stations. That's in people's living rooms. And a lot of things that people don't realize is in these multiple cell applications. So, you know, Angie's, you know, she's driving a Volvo now, but as soon as she can get a Tesla, she's going to get a Tesla. I know it. <laughs> I know it. I'm convinced. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, but there's multiple battery cells. And the issue is, is the way that they're engineered is if one cell fails, it jeopardizes the rest of them. And so when we put a fire in cell one out, cell two and three are unstable they're going to catch fire eventually and this is going to continue to be a problem wow and so that changes the firefighting application that changes how long it takes to put the fire out how much water it also then becomes a question of what do you do about all this because this is battery acid right. you can't leave it here you right. can't put it on the back of a tow truck right. and take it up to the junkyard it's going to burn the junkyard right and then i'm just thinking about how it relates to building code as well as you know, they're parking these vehicles in garages. Yes. So what's the fire-resistant rating on the materials that are being used? Does, does that have to be up? Does that have to be different on um, the charging stations, the actual, where they plug it up, you know? 
what does that do for the electrical grid for the property? I mean, is it on its own switch? You know, it just brings yeah. up so many different questions. Well, and here, I'll tell you what the concern piece is to me is, is that I'm not seeing a lot of this in the 2021 proposed code changes. Mm-hmm. I'm not, particularly in fire code, I'm not seeing anything that's going to help us deal with this issue from a code, from a prevention and code enforcement perspective yet. Well, we're a little farther in now. Right. So his problem is we're past public comment. We're past adding new agenda items. Yes. And so that's going to require an act of the legislature, most likely, to correct it once they roll the 2021 out right. um, in, in a year and a half. Right. And, you know, my question now is um, what, what tragedy is going to have to occur for us to get that done? Well, I mean, and, and historically... If you look at building codes, it's always been some event, man-made or natural, that has caused mm-hmm. some change in the code. Mm-hmm. So this would be nothing new. I would I would like to say, like, uh, for our listeners listening, like, you know, if you look back at the history of codes, you know, you have the Great Chicago Fire um, in New York. You had all the zoning codes where there people were living on top of each other, and it created a uh, unsanitary condition, which created a disease condition. So therefore, they had to come up with a whole bunch of zoning laws and zoning ordinances and building codes and things of that matter. So I I don't think that we're. The thing is, is that the code models and the code makers and the code authors, you know, we're we're still going through that cycle of, well, this has happened. Let's see how it can. The, you know, what we can do to make the code stronger to prevent anything in My the problem is, this is a freight train that you can see coming for a mile, and we're not getting much done about it. That's the problem I have with it. Well, this podcast may get... Particularly in residential applications. So, people are putting in these these massive battery packs into the side of their home. You know, you know and this is not to say that I believe all of them are defective or, or will be defective. What I'm saying is... <clears throat> The assumptions that a lot of this is built on is that there'll be an intrinsic failure of that system. The issue is, is what happens if there's a brush fire or a grass fire or a mulch fire that we have almost daily against one of those, those yeah. back, there you go. Right. And not the vehicle, but the house system. Right. And so now I'm introducing, the, the, we call it the kill chain, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a new event here, and what are we going to do with that? Right. And, and the problem is, is that it's, well, uh, technology's safe, or we don't think there's going to be, there's going to be, a, I'm telling you, it's, it's, I, I could see down the train track, and it's, and it's right there, and it's, it's, well, it's a bullet train. You just gave me an idea for a new podcast, a uh, subtitle, where we'll talk about uh, how do we address fire prevention for electric vehicles or lithium batteries in, in more residential and even commercial, well, and commercial applications important too right and have the building official and the fire official have a conversation and those who help create and model those codes um have a conversation you know have a roundtable discussion i think that would be a very interesting well podcast. you know we can <clears throat> the thing too is we actually have some i wouldn't say world's experts but we have some experts that work in, in, in our fire department on the hazardous materials side that have a deeper understanding of this than most folks do. So, you know, we could even, 
you know, get them involved. Mm-hmm. If you want to do something like that, it's, it's of course, up to you. But So this is my last question. Okay. What is the future in codes enforcement in, regarding fire prevention? Um, my, so my hope is that... Um, is that will be will be more present. Fire officials will be more present because, in, in my experience, we haven't been. Um, <clears throat> so I hope that you know future fire officials are more present in the code development, in the code administration, and the code enforcement pieces. Um, <clears throat> because what we don't want is to have to just leave it to one entity or the other. We've seen in recent history when you have a strong fire marshal to get things done that otherwise, you know, would have been a difficult situation. Likewise, if you have a strong codes division, you can get things done that would have been difficult otherwise. But when just one organization like yours, you know, that you work for full time mm-hmm. is having to carry the burden by themselves, it creates a massive problem right. for you. Right. And you have to have both players on the field because right. it's the design. Correct. And so my hope is that as we move forward, fire officials are consistently in positions and it's not a rotating door, that they're seeking the education that they need to do a good job, <clears throat> not just enough to get by. And that goes for all of government, by the way. That's <laughs> fire official. And, you know, that, that they're investing in, in relationships with their community and with their, um, and with their codes department, and with the planning departments, with the development departments, because these, they're all doing their own thing. And if you have that network, you can make a difference. It's largely invisible, but I, I just hope that that happens because it's really important. And and uh, and you know that's what's going to happen here. I I can tell you that. But you know, I just hope that, that that's something that's standard. You know. Well, I think this interview is a great first step into casting the net to bridge the gap between any building officials and their code enforcement team. I hope so. Well, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. That was a great way to end it. This has been the VBCIA podcast, a Building Code Geeks podcast. I've been your host, Christina Jackson. Please like and share the podcast. Give us a rating. I hope this was a five-star interview that you all will Uh, rated at five stars and please make sure that you listen to us wherever podcasts are found thank you all talk to you soon